0: Hello and welcome to another edition of Turned Out of Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham, and once again I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved in punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, my new friend from the goth boy clique, Wicca Faze Springs Eternal. Formerly of Tiger's Jaw, but more on that in one second. Trust me, this is one of my... This is one of my favorites. I love this episode. But first, if you want to get in touch with me, you can head over to the email address, podcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, and you can send messages to either of those places, and you will get answered by my brother and show producer, Tristan Abraham and, and guest booker too, except this week. I, I booked this guest myself with the elbow Wrestling Podcast. More on that in a second as well. But Tristan will get back to you and get in touch with me and we can communicate that way. If you'd like to support the show, the best way of supporting the show is by telling all your friends about it. Let everyone know that you listen to this thing and that it's kind of awesome and that they need to check it out too because that just spreads the word and spreading the word is what we're trying to do on this thing Right now, speaking of spreading the word, this show does have a Patreon Patreon.com slash punk. There are some tiers, there are some footnotes, there are some prizes coming in the mail There's a lot of stuff, but you can find out more information there And speaking of support, this show would not be possible without the kind support of my friends over there at Vans Vans came on board a couple years ago now and said, just do what you do Book whoever you want to book, we just don't want you to lose money on it so here you go. Here's a little bit of money to cover expenses. And they have also got these amazing House of Van shows happening all summer all over the place, including Chicago, where Julian Baker just played. And Coming Up Converge is playing, and there's Taking Back Sundays playing. And um, there's like three or four other ones are of note. But but you know, for the show, there's other ones going on, and there's amazing events, free drinks and parties. I've had I saw like Cap and Jazz there. I saw Dillinger Four there. I've seen some good bands play those things. So, check out the internet for more information about those House of Vans shows coming up this summer. and And hopefully I'll see you there because I'm going to be going out doing some live turn into punk stuff at a few of them as well. Okay, speaking of uh, supporting, I gotta say thank you all that have supported the show, the wrestlers. Um, we're up to the last few weeks of shows, last couple weeks of shows, but they're they're doozies, and they got two episodes a night, including um, some of the best episodes, definitely some of the best episodes, which leads me perfectly into talking about this week's guest on the show, because if you did see The Wrestlers, you probably saw in episode one, we covered a wrestling promotion called Evolve, run by my friend and, and friend of the show, I guess, even though he hasn't been on the show yet. Gabe Zapolski, massive Neurosis fan. So that that helps out on that front. But there was a podcast that was done by two guys named Aaron called Everything Evolves, which would just talk about the Evolve wrestling product. And I, being a fan of Evolve, checked out this podcast, became a fan of this podcast as well. And, you know, and then I was listening to this podcast one day, and they started talking about meeting a, a A member of the Goth Boy clique, and this was the first time. No, I probably heard of it before that because of Lil Peep, but this was the. It it just was completely out of context that this was on this wrestling podcast where very little music really crossed over, and so they started talking about meeting this guy Wiccaface at this Evolve show and how Wicca was a big fan of what they did and they played some of his music and they started talking about how he plays a type of music called emotional trap. And for me, it was just like this really interesting moment of like well who's this other person in a band that's punk adjacent that's a big fan of Evolve because as we all know regular listeners of this podcast I'm a bit of a fan of the punk wrestling connection and so I started looking him up and found out you know he played in this band Tiger's Jaw and kind of put that all in the back of my head and then eventually through actually Ben from Fucked Up we made contact with each other and I hit him with wait aren't you the guy that they talked about on the Everything Evolves podcast? And he laughed and said, yes, I am. And that was how we hit it off. So thank you to the two Aaron's for Everything Evolves podcast and introducing me to the new buddy, Wikifaze. And uh, this is a, a real fun talk. Like, uh, he came to the office I worked at. Uh, actually, I told him, like, he told me I could call him Adam. So Adam came to the office I worked at and we had a fun hangout. We talked some wrestling, we talked some music, and uh yeah, you're you're gonna hear a lot of the conversation here. Believe me, it was a much larger unrecorded podcast bookending this thing, but don't worry, there's some good stuff here too. Uh, this is this is a fun one. So I'm not gonna blather on anymore. Sit back, relax, and enjoy Wicca Springs Eternal on Turned out a
1: punk.
0: That is not why we're here. We are here to discuss your journey through music. And I'm sure we will probably get distracted by wrestling because uh,
1: that is the way these conversations normally go when I know I'm talking to a fellow fan. Yeah, that's how all my conversations go in real life. (laughs) <laughs> Even if I, the other person is not a fan, they're going to hear me talk about wrestling. <laughs> same here, yeah. same
0: here. It's a, it's something that you feel like, almost like you want to talk to the person more about wrestling when you hear they're not a fan because you're like, well, I have to convert you. Yeah, like yeah. clearly you just haven't been talked enough to about this subject. No, exactly. Uh, but I want to start this off the way I, they all start off, which is Adam. Oh wait, is it like kayfabe? Do I do I call you by? No, you call me Adam. Okay, me Adam. I, I was yeah, going to yeah. say like. That's fine. I was like, am I breaking uh, some sort of rule with that? No, it's okay. So, Adam, how'd you get into Punk? Do you remember the first time you ever came across the genre? Uh,
1: I was into um, Blink-182 and stuff, like, in, like, fourth and fifth grade, just from the radio, but that was pop essentially right Mm -hmm. i mean for the most part Well, Um, no, no. it definitely it comes from the same place there's definitely a punk aspect to it but i mean it was on top 40 radio right so um but the deep dive into it came when i was in sixth grade so like middle school and uh someone uh it was my friend tom who uh plays in the men's singers now he's like a year or two older than i am uh at the talent show, played Roots Radical uh, by Rancid with a band, and I was like, "This is it! Like this is." <laughs> and he won. Um, he won. The band won. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, so it was that uh, at that same talent show, another group of people played Maxwell Murder. Okay. It's uh, so like really weird. <laughs> like it was like a lot of a lot of Rancid at once for uh, someone who never heard it. Were
0: those bands, I wonder if they beefed with each other
1: beforehand, or they collaborated being like, okay, like... They definitely collabed later. Uh, Because, like, so that would have been, like, they were a year older than me, so I would have seen their next talent show. Yeah. Right? Or uh, we also went to the same high school, so I've seen him play in so many talent shows. (laughs) But then I've seen, I saw, like, the combination of two, like, the best members of each of those the next year. Voltron Um, together? Yeah, pretty much. And then, like... When I was in high school, the men singers were just straight up doing sublime covers at my talent show. Like they were playing Bad Fish. And <laughs> like. um, but it was that. So, um, yeah, I would go home, type in punk on Napster. Yeah. First thing that came up was uh, Brownie Bottom Sunday by AFI, that song. I don't know why. And then Drink Drink Punk by Anti Flag. I was in. You're in. That was it. <laughs> yeah. They had you at just the uh the A section. Yeah, I don't know what it, I probably was searching by like sorting by name or something.
0: Were but, you already into music prior to that? Like
1: Yeah, always. I was obsessive with the radio. Um taping. I would just sit at home when I was young, like third or fourth grade, maybe even before that. Um I mean, I was always, like, aware of songs I liked on the radio and stuff like that. And then I would start, I had, like, a, a boombox or something like that. And I would tape my favorite songs on the radio and make mixes and stuff like that and archive them and then just keep doing that. When I was young, I would call into the radio and request songs. I was into um, East Coast rap. Like, I loved Puff Daddy. Like, as a rapper, I loved him. (laughs) I loved his voice. I loved, like, everything. I was like, he's the top dog, right? And I loved him. I loved Mace. I loved Notorious B.I.G., Buster Rhymes. So I was very aware of that. And then I also liked Eurodance. Like, there was that (laughs) weird wave in, like, I guess the early 90s when Eurodance took over top 40 pop. Radio, and it probably climaxed with either Aqua's Barbie Girl or like Eiffel 65's Blue. But there was better songs before that, Rhythm Is a Dancer and stuff like that, Labouche. And um, so I was really into that. Yeah, I was always into music. Where was that
0: being played? On like,
1: Was there one radio station that was kind of focused on... We yeah. had two top 40 radio okay. stations in Scranton, PA. It was Hot 97, which is now 97.1 BHT, and then 98.5 KRZ. Okay. Yeah. But, it- sorry, go on. No, no, go on. Uh, nah, that's it. I mean, BHT was the better one, Hot 97. It was slightly edgier, and they would play more rap, so I was into that more.
0: And so would you just call in and like, how old were you when you were calling the yeah, radio? Yeah, I was like eight years old. Would they
1: put you on air? Sometimes. <laughs> and I would tape it so I would hear myself. <laughs>
0: That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. So what kind of like, you know, would, would you do drops for your, would you know you're like, oh, I'm going to put this on a
1: tape later on. I got to make this a hot drop. I don't know what I planned on doing. No, I was nervous. I was so nervous calling. Um... I wouldn't play it for anyone. I would like bring the tapes in my parents' car and it would be stuff that was currently playing on the radio. You know what I mean? It's the same songs in rotation. But I had to have them. It's your rotation. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. But then I was buying CDs too. I was buying a lot of CD rap, CD singles because they were edited. So my parents would buy them for me. Uh, So that was like the majority of my collection.
0: And so where did you go? Like had you gone to a live concert kind of prior to getting into punk or like backstreet
1: boys, backstreet boys and stuff like that. Like it's a big concert. Yeah. Yeah. Is I really went like... with my, my older cousin is a, um, a female and like she wanted to go. And I think either my dad took her, my aunt took us or something like that. So we went to see them. We would um, do these like weird neighborhood performances like me and my neighborhood friends where we would do like choreographed dances to pop songs yeah um and like set up seats in our front yard and make our parents watch us on friday nights and stuff really strange the kid who was organizing that is now a a, director on Broadway, so it well, worked out. very,
0: very well. Like, yeah. you know, like, maybe more of us should have been organizing, <laughs> yeah. organized dance pageants in our front yards, because that would have been probably a much more lucrative path. <laughs> yeah, worked out for him. And me, I guess. Yeah, exactly, exactly, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, how many backyard wrestlers can say that, you know, have gone on to find fame and fortune in wrestling? Well, actually, a few now. A few, but what's the... <laughs> yeah, but how many have just taken cactuses to the face in the name of yeah VHS glory.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I'm like a a front yard dancer instead of a backyard yard. That's awesome.
0: So where'd you go from AFI and anti-flag? Uh,
1: I mean, rancid, I stuck with rancid so hard and operation Ivy. Um, there was an operation Ivy fan page, uh, I think it was like com, but it wasn't an official website. It was a fan page. Where you could just buy anyone's URL type thing. Yeah, yeah, essentially. And you could download MP3s of all of their stuff, like all their 7 Inches, all their demos and stuff. Got uh, a little bit more in the underground stuff, like Crimpshrine, Shrine. Uh, I was like a very big Crim Shrine fan for a little bit. I fucking love that band. One yeah. of my favorite bands. I don't know what it was. I'm just being young and hearing. It was probably my first exposure to very lo-fi recordings yeah. and stuff like that. And
0: also gruff, like, it's just
1: like, there's something so honest about those songs. Like, yeah. Especially like,
0: you know, no diss on Blink-182, right? But like, you know, and, and obviously they found a great formula with what they were doing, but like, for to go from like that sound, something so polished to something so rough and raw and just like sounding, it's like, oh shit, like it was such a, way. Well, yeah, first time I heard it, it was the same way.
1: Yeah. So, I was into that, and then, um I mean, really, do you know the Menzingers at all? Like, are you familiar? Do you know that band? Yeah, yeah, we you played know, with
0: them a bunch over the years. That's what I figured. In Finland a few times.
1: Really? Yeah. I'm playing there in, like, May. Uh, it's And a I cool, saw that they played... Uh, yeah. It's a cool, cool-ass country. I'm excited. Um but Yeah, it was... I mean, I owe all of my, my punk... Operating to the men's singers, and specifically Tom May uh a singer um just because he was so I was friends with his younger brother we were the same age so Tom must be two years older than me and uh I was friends with his younger brother Mike and I would go over Mike's house all the time but it was just to to pick Tom's brain about (laughs) and like when Tom would uh go upstairs like to grab a drink I'd be on Tom's computer like looking to see what music was on there and what was cool and what wasn't cool and stuff and um, eventually I started going to see his band play uh, his ska band Scranton had a a pretty hot ska scene for a few years and um, and ska bands were coming to Scranton all the time so we had good local bands and like good touring bands like bidding the Kid's Table or Catch-22, Pie Tasters, The Toasters, they were always coming to Scranton and those shows were always selling out. It's has got to be like um, one of the few scenes that, that was was, like, because, you know, I, I've never played Scranton on a tour and,
0: like, I can't imagine a lot of did a lot of touring bands come through from different scenes or least seems like Ska's an anomaly in that way? Or It used to be. Yeah, yeah I
1: think so. I think it must have been word of mouth between yeah. those bands being like every time we go to Scranton we're selling out <laughs> yeah, these shows. It's the like, Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's weird because Wiltsbury, Pennsylvania is, uh, it's 20 minutes from Scranton and there was no Ska scene there. It was all hardcore. Yeah. Uh, and I was totally ignorant of it. I remember um Might have been H2O was playing at uh, the skate park that had shows. And my girlfriend, when I was seven in 7th grade or 8th grade or something, um, told me that there was a hardcore band playing there. And I just said, like, hardcore what? Like, what is, like, hardcore punk? Like, meaning the casualties that in my head. Yeah. The casualties. (laughs) Like, hardcore punk, hardcore, like, I don't know, like, I had no concept of what that was, but this huge hardcore scene was happening so close to me. So I was a ska person, and then I I wanted to start a ska band, so I started playing guitar, and uh, and it was Tom again who who helped me play guitar and helped teach me how to play like ska chords and upstrokes and stuff like that, and uh, just like the building blocks of of. What would be punk music around that time? I found out about Leftover Crack, too. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. like since then, they've been my favorite band of all time. I don't know what it is, them and the Beach Boys. I it's really strange, but they're like one of those bands that I think there's a lot of layers, like it's like
0: wrestling, you know, there's like a lot of stuff to unpack and explore.
1: Yeah, they uh, it was the uh just like the fast paced nature of it is what I liked at first. And it, um, again, there was bands like the Toasters or the Pie Tasters who had a very polished sound. Yeah. And it was stuff that like my parents would like. But then Leftover Crack was so aggressive. And, the um, name. <laughs> I mean, the name, the song titles, the album titles, the artwork. It, it, it just really appealed to me when I was 13 years old. Um, and then as I get older, I realize... Even last night, I fell asleep listening to. I smoked a bunch of weed and, uh, for some reason, fell asleep listening to Leftover Crack. And I was just unpacking it. I was <laughs> like, These, there's so much going on that I don't know if people realize it. Yeah. But, um, yeah, they were like, really influential. So I wanted to start Ska Bands and that's why I started playing guitar.
0: That, that's awesome. Like, I think that's the, uh, I think they're, they're one of those bands that yeah like like you're saying like there's a real rawness like choking victim I remember hearing choking victim for the first that's time. that's probably who I heard first was choking yeah, victim yeah,
1: yeah that uh, the infested song was just that was my first exposure to them too
0: it's still like one of my favorite I, I fucking love that song like, I'll put it on a mix every once mm-hmm. in a while like a play I guess mix, a playlist
1: and I'll be like oh yeah when it comes on like yeah this song's still like undeniable. Yeah, that song, uh, Five Finger Discount, Five Hundred Channels. I mean, they were the big ones for me. Mm-hmm. In Hell, and then Leftover Crack, um, like Homeopathy. I, I mean, there's so many, every song is good, but Would uh, they come through too? No, they wouldn't come through. But there was yeah. this like Leftover Crack ripoff band called No Cash, who <laughs> is kind of popular. Like, uh, it's really weird. They. Uh, I remember Tom from the Menzingers being like, don't fuck with that band, like, they were dicks to me at a show once or something like that, and I was like, always like, alright, like, cool, I won't fuck with them. Yeah, be for life. Of course. And now, whenever, like, anytime I'm wearing a leftover crack shirt at a show, people will come up to me and be like, oh, you need to hear No Cash. And I'm like, yeah, I, I I've been hearing that band, and I want nothing to do with them. Uh... Like... It's amazing how, like, those, like, beefs from, like,
0: what, like, almost, what, 20 years ago, close to, not 20 years ago, but, like, like what,
1: 10 years ago now? Yeah. It's, like, yeah.
0: those still hold true.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was, yeah, 10 to 15 years ago. Like, yeah. Probably even more. Gotta respect the beef, though. Of course. Of course. And, I mean, anything Tom said was, like, gospel to me. Yeah. he was... He just knew, like, he was so willing to share stuff with me and like burn CDs for me and stuff and mm-hmm. um and like let us use his equipment and stuff when we were like my first band was practicing and yeah I owe so much to him. What was your first band called? Cosmos, which is a video game character. I don't know the video game. Chrono Trigger, maybe? Okay. Because uh, our bass player came up with it. KOS M O S. Okay. It was uh me, Mike May, <laughs> no one knows Mike. Um, Leo Vernetti, who plays in a band called Captain We're Sinking. Oh, he's yeah. Down now, but yeah, he he's sang for that band. He um, he played guitar and sang with me in that band. And then uh our friend Jordan. Uh, and Jordan's older brother. Played a similar role to Tom. His older brother was in a band called Lester. And they were also a ska punk band. But they were more like... uh, So Tom's first ska band was more technical. um, Like reggae. Like roots reggae mixed with punk and stuff like that. Uh, Lester was like no effects. Like So Long and Thanks for All the Shoes era. No effects. Ska punk. Okay, yeah. Um. So both of those guys like help me out a lot but yeah Cosmos was my first band and then eventually uh Greg who also sings for the men singers now joined to sing for that band okay it's really strange Lester they were called Lester was so Lester was the other band Oh Bob. saying in this band that you did uh Cosmos okay, was that Cosmos, band yeah. yeah Tom May's band was called Bob and the Saggots. okay and then uh, the yeah Lester was the other band but Cosmos was my band. <laughs> So it was like, it was almost exclusively a ska punk scene that you guys were all a part of. Yeah, there was some, there was like a grindcore band. They started off like a a street punk casualties-esque band called uh, Radical Jack. Then they became Dead Radical. Then they changed their name to Nimbus Terrafix and became like a grind band. Um, They were really awesome. Like legitimately great and still are great. Would they just play on the bills with all the ska bands? Yeah. It was the same bands yeah, all the time. Yeah. It was Bob and the Saggots, Lester, Dead Radicals, slash Radical Jack, slash Nimbus Terrafix. And then um a band called The Losers. Uh and then through the Losers I found out about like like the Clash and they were covering the Clash, like UK subs, stuff like that, so that got me deeper. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. So you were
0: always trying to like dig deeper, it seems like. Yeah. It's like always like about exploring it and trying to get the yeah. next level of it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I feel the exact same way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so did you guys play shows? Like, did you ever get on any of these bills with your band? Yeah.
1: Yeah. A few of them. Uh, there was this uh, skate park in Scranton. I'm from Scranton. I'm from yeah, Scranton. Yeah, yeah. There was a skate park uh, there called Sessions and they would have shows. So like in the tail end of those days, my band was playing those shows, but then they closed down. There wasn't really a venue. Uh, there was one in Wilkesbury that we played a bunch of times, and we would be booked when um, like bigger sky Band, like Streetlight Manifesto or Big D would come through. Okay. They would book us. and we got kind of popular, like because of that. I remember like we would just record and then in our friend's basement, and uh, bring the CDs to. We would burn the CDs and like print out the cover art, uh, like in jet printer. Yeah. And then sell the CDs for five songs for ten dollars and be rich. Like in when we were in eighth grade, walking out of walking out of school, each of us with like a thousand dollars. Oh yeah, it
0: was really great. In Those physical format days. Yeah. Like when,
1: when bands would
0: make it a killing selling CDs, jewel jewel cases. So would you guys like record like a whole new demo and go out and sell it each time? You must have like a lot of records. A lot I of think we recordings. had
1: two. I okay. think we had two like uh eight-song demo Yeah, thing. demo type things. Um and it was like our friend's dad was recording them. He bought a Fostex eight track digital recorder, but he was the only one that was allowed to use it. <laughs> so he'd be recording us. They sound terrible. Um <laughs> Yeah, that's what I was doing. Uh and then I left that band. Uh, I get bored with things really easy and um for whatever reason i left that band and then greg from the menzingers kind of we were in the band together briefly like maybe for a month or two but then he kind of took my spot Mm -hmm. and they recorded a really awesome album uh like very technical kind of like propaganda sounding um it was awesome and then I don't know. They dispersed, and I got into other stuff. Ska shows weren't really happening anymore. And so what what happened then, right? Because you obviously wind up playing in post punk,
0: post hardcore kind of bands.
1: Yeah, I uh, around around the time I started playing music, I also got into um, like indie stuff, like Saddle Creek Records stuff, mm-hmm. like Bright Eyes obviously this is all through my middle school girlfriend uh Rachel Gibbons shout out Rachel and I got into like Bright Eyes, Tating Bad Sunday brand new um early November uh I didn't really care about early November uh yeah whatever but Bright Eyes I was like super into um and then again, digging deeper, like I would go on Saddle Creek's website, they would have free mp3 downloads of some of their bands. Like, you could download three songs from each band, and they would update it once every month. So you could download different songs from that band, mm-hmm. and that was my first exposure to indie music. Um, I mean, I thought that's what indie music sounded like, I didn't really understand the concept of it being like just any sort of underground music. I thought it was clean guitars or acoustic guitars, uh, home recordings. It had to be a home recording or it wasn't an indie band. Um, and like very emotional songwriting. So I got into that. And then between... There was like, other
0: stuff too, right? Like Cursive and Faint and like...
1: they were. I was super into that. Yeah,
0: too. so I guess like, you know, that's the thing. At least with Saddle Creek, you're getting... You know, like a couple, you know, of a, of a certain sound-ish, but like
1: a diverse range of sounds within that. Yeah, definitely. Um, so that's what, I mean, that blew things wide open for me Mm -hmm. pretty much. Uh, I tried a few, like, I tried to start writing songs like that. It didn't really work out. Anything that did work out eventually went towards, um, like the next band I was in, which is Tiger's Jaw. Um. But around that time, there was, like, two things happening. One, my uncle was super into music. He was, like, kind of a hippie uh, and was on some message board where each, uh, it's like, an elite music collector message board. Okay. So, uh, it was <laughs> like the place only. I want to be. It was, like, invite only. Yeah. Once you're in, you are assigned a band, and your job is to collect Everything that they've recorded, uh, studio albums, live albums, demos, bootlegs, stuff like that, compile them onto data discs, right? So, you you know, it's an entire artist catalog, anywhere from one to 15 data discs worth of CDs, and you would mail them to the next person on the mailing list, and then, you know, it'll just rotate, right? So, you'd mail out your uh, cream discography, And then you would get the full Woody Guthrie discography in the mail, right? And you would rip it to your computer and then pass that along to the next person. So my uncle, when he would get them, he would give them to me. So he gave me all of Bob Dylan's studio albums and bootlegs that were out at the time. All of Leonard Cohen's studio albums and bootlegs and uh, all of the Beatles stuff. This is when I was 12 and 13. And I just dove right into all of that. Bob Dylan really, like, hit me. Um, because in some way, I associated what he was doing with what Connor Oberst was doing. Yeah. In that it was acoustic guitar. I don't know. Like, no, but they were, I could have really were, process And it. also
0: at the time, there was a lot of, like, this is the new Dylan. You Ooh. know, that was the... <clears throat> I think that was even a Rolling Stone cover, right? At some was point. it? Or something that there was, like, there was definitely that correlation where, like, You know, someone trying—well, not trying to—someone being put in the position to be the voice of
1: a time. Yeah, it—it must have been that. Like something in my head uh, associated the two. So that was happening. So I was exposed to all that. Leonard Cohen, I didn't get, but uh, later it like became my favorite. So how would
0: you like? You know, like this must be hours of fucking music. Like how would you approach? having these discographies would you just start from the beginning or? yeah okay yeah
1: i would get home from school i would uh get home from school go on the internet and just listen to all this stuff while i browsed like gundam wing message boards <laughs> <laughs> that's what i was doing
0: so where are you getting into like you're you know seemingly always into kind of like esoteric kind of
1: stuff like where did you find out about this stuff on the internet? Was that your introduction to... Probably the internet. Um, so the other thing that was happening at this time was I was going to the library and you could check out like 20 CDs at a time. Mm-hmm. So I'd do that once a week, burn them, and then bring them back the next week, take out another 20. I would listen to everything. Like, I don't know how I had the time for this, but <laughs> I would listen to everything that I got. If it looked cool. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Stuff. Um from that, like, that's where I heard, like, the Smiths for the first time. That's where I heard the Microphones, Mount Erie, who, I mean, they became, like, probably my favorite, uh, I mean, Leftover Crack and, and the Microphones. <laughs> and are, the Beach Boys. And the Beach Boys are up there. Um, uh, So I was into that. And then, like, post-punk stuff and, like, 80s, Joy Division, um... Duran Duran and it had to have been through like Joy Division or New Order where I don't know like something about that led me to British mysticism like the culture of British mysticism I don't know exactly who it was maybe it was the cure like maybe Throbbing Gristle and and Psychic TV and that kind of stuff maybe I I don't know um it wasn't super present when I was in Tigers yeah uh I'm kind of jumping ahead. I Grant Morrison played a big part. I don't know if you're a comic book guy, but that's the um, entire like I'm not as much, but that's the entire basis of fucked up is the
0: Invisibles. Really? Yeah. Like, I had no idea. Yeah. Like there's a there's a zine that fucked up kind of came out of that was like very much inspired. Like that got Mike and, and Josh into the Situationists, and that got them into so much stuff. It was like unpacking the Invisibles was like
1: the uh, the genesis of the band. Oh, yeah, crazy. Yeah. That's where like the occult stuff comes from to mm-hmm. um, Alan Moore, Grant Morrison, Neil Gaiman. you know, like mm-hmm. that whole and it kind of went hand in hand with that like wave of eighties music. I guess I don't know in my mind. It's yeah, it. yeah. So that's how I got into that.
0: And it's also like it's it's funny because um, we're at that moment in wrestling right now, but there's almost like this moment where it happened in music with punk, and it happened in in comic books with like this kind of like period of writers that you're talking about where the creator became at more important, you know, and like mm-hmm. it became more important than the company that was putting out their creations. Mm-hmm. And, and like now it's like, you see that happening in wrestling where like the wrestlers are bigger than the companies they are part of yeah. and stuff, but it's like amazing how it, it happened in music and in comic books almost at the exact same time. What are saying?
1: Yeah. Really strange. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's funny. Cause my, uh, my friend Matt who does merch for me, always says that like it's so strange to him now how music is like that where he was always taught growing up in hardcore uh that no one in the band is above uh like anyone in the crowd which is totally true but no one in the crowd should look at someone in a band or as larger than life or idolize them or something like that but we're hitting a point where These people are getting idolized, and it grows against his natural, you know, just his, his, the fiber of his, his music fandom and his show going fandom and so forth.
0: It's, well, but it's also, it's always been that kind of cult, you know, as much as hardcore kind of like pretends that it's not that cult of personality, it is, right? Like, we all live by Ian McKay doctrines, and we all live by, like, I remember getting into hardcore and, like, just the the mystique that existed around Earth Crisis and and Carl mm-hmm. and specifically as the singer of Earth Crisis and just being like oh my gosh like that guy is a sort of larger than life figure in in sort of this you know people look up
1: to these people so it's always existed in punk and hardcore yeah that's what i figure i didn't grow up in hardcore again i didn't know about hardcore Really, until I joined Tiger Shaw, Stra- like we started Tiger Shaw Stra- and started touring with Title Fight. Yeah, and like that was. Then I, I, you know, that's like,
0: yeah. but that's like Wilkes Bar and Scranton coming together, yeah. right? Like that's yeah. like, that's like the Rich Cross, unity, yep. hardcore ska, like coming together yeah. years later.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, well, how did How did Tiger Shaw Stra- come together? It was me trying to do indie stuff, singer-songwriter type stuff. Uh I played one acoustic show in Scranton and uh Ben Walsh who uh is like the main songwriter of Tiger Shaw. Now, mm-hmm. um he was there. And uh I he must have introduced himself or something and floated that if I ever needed more people to start a band, he would be down. So about a week after that, he came over to my house and drummed for um, the songs, like drummed for the acoustic songs that I had played a week prior that he saw. And he played drums for a little bit, and I just had like some friends. I had a, we had a bass player and a keyboard player. Um, we just practiced a lot, and then eventually um, Ben moved to guitar. My friend Mike. Same one. Tommy's younger brother. He joined the band and played drums. We had a rotating cast of like bass players. Uh, Brianna joined to play keyboard, and then eventually, um, we played a house show with uh, in Scranton with uh, this band called Three Man Cannon, and it was their bass player who put on the show. And I, I don't know how exactly it happened, but him and the drummer of that band joined Tiger Shaw and they became permanent members. And that was like the, it was the five of us for, you know, however many years. uh, Maybe six or seven years mm-hmm. or something like that. Yeah, it was just like an indie, trying to be an indie band, uh, whatever that is. Microphones, rip-off songs early on and like... You're selling yourself short. I mean, early you're, um, on that's yeah, what yeah, it was. Yeah. It, that's the, the aesthetic that I was going... Yeah. For but it, it took on... A life of its own. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It had its own branding and stuff like that.
0: When did you, like... When you made that jump from playing in a band to playing acoustic, was that, like, the
1: your next project after being, you know... I was in a band called the Tryphones, which was a three-piece... That sounds like it's a microphone's derivative of a band. <laughs> uh, that was more like a Bright Eyes rip-off okay. band. Okay. Yeah, that was more of a Bright Eyes rip-off band, but... It was also like trying to be like a power pop band mm-hmm. too, it, and it just wasn't clicking. Um, and I blamed it on the other people in the band. I've always been kind of selfish with music in the sense that I I have a very, uh, at least when I write a song, I have a very specific uh, style in mind and a very specific way it should sound in mind and if it doesn't come across like that I get disheartened really quick mm-hmm. and uh, yeah so I left that band yeah. and uh, and then actually I think I went to uh, pick up a XLR cable or something like that and I saw that those two people that were in that band were practicing with someone else and uh, I quit <laughs> uh, and then started Tiger's Jaw. so it was like I just wanted something that was totally mine yeah um, and yeah, then, then started writing songs, in Tiger's Shaw too, and it worked, like, you know, his songs were, were good, and they fit the style of, mm-hmm. of what that band was shaping up to be, so, uh, I forget your question, but, yeah.
0: No, it was originally just how that band came
1: together, and I guess, like, you know, when you approached playing acoustic for the first time. Oh, yeah, uh, again, me trying to be Bob Dylan, me trying to be Connor Oberst, um, wanting the attention all on me uh there was a venue in scranton called test pattern it was an art gallery owned by college students and uh the goal was just play there Mm -hmm. like that was that was the goal um and that's where my first solo show was and then me and ben ended up uh like doing sound for that venue when we were like 15 years old because no one else wanted to do it uh so yeah, uh, and then we ended up playing there a bunch, and that became our new place where where Tiger Show book shows, the Menzingers played their first shows there. It's so a lot of early Tiger Show Menzinger title fight shows at that art gallery that we were booking, and so, that that kind of became the new scene too.
0: Yeah, right? like yeah, and it, it, it's funny too because uh, you know, like I, I was friends with Alex. We call him Fat Alex, but Alex Rustin <laughs> <laughs> So. So you know, like it, it was amazing to kind of like blink and be like, oh shit, it's not Cold World anymore. Now it's his younger brother's band, and they're way bigger than Cold World was at the time. And then Cold World came back, but it, it was just like, oh wow, this is a, a whole new scene. And this title scene, fight that is well, title fight. You guys like Menzingers, like the, just was like their whole new crop of bands that kind of like took over and kind of mm-hmm. you know, like you're saying, like you got you were trying to become an indie rock band, but you guys became the new. indie. Yeah.
1: In uh, Certainly for that area. Yeah. Uh, I feel like we... That did happen, but in the worst way possible, where it, it we became, like, the intersection of indie and pop-punk, where, I don't know, like, it just became, like, a, a thing. I don't know. And, and I, I see bands... Like, my problem with Tiger Shaw was always that I hated, if it wasn't title Fight, uh, The Menzingers, Three Man Cannon, or like, our other friends' bands, Kali Party, stuff like that. Like, local bands. We would get booked with pop-punk bands. Mm -hmm. And I hated it. Like, I I was unaware of that scene. uh, And... I don't know. I just... I I had this natural aversion where I hated every band we were playing with. I hated every band that we were grouped with. Um, What was it about that scene? Because, like, I think that's, like... That's a pop punk scene that I'm not as
0: familiar with. Like, what it became at that point.
1: I mean, at the time, it was... It's funny because it's bands that I love now. Like, Man Overboard or something. I love Man Overboard now. I think they are great. I understand, like, what their role was. But... I thought it was formulaic, uh, and I thought it just seemed like, uh, I mean, I think that's it. Yeah. I, I i didn't see anything original in it, and I didn't understand the community aspect of it. Um, so I don't know. I just kept thinking, we are, Tiger Shaw's supposed to be weirder than this. Really? We're supposed to be like, I don't know, some seventeen year old like geniuses or something. And I don't know. I, I, I was totally misguided in that, but it I don't know, just a natural version. But uh, that's also where all of our success came from. Like once we did our first tour with the Title Fight, who I don't group in with that pop punk thing at all because yeah, they were different it, Yeah. That. They were doing their own thing. Like after we did that we signed with Run For Cover Records, and um, and we became even more ingrained in that world. But then I started seeing other bands uh, not necessarily come up. I don't want to say that Tiger Shaw had any responsibility for these bands, but we started playing shows with bands like Modern Baseball or The Front Bottoms and stuff like that. And they were getting insanely popular. And I just, I don't know. Want nothing to do with it. Want to do something else. Yeah. So how did that start? Like, you know, because
0: you're you're in a successful band at this point. Like, what is that process like? Of.
1: Uh, here's what happened. We. Tiger Shell was never a full time band Mm -hmm. when I was in it. We were all in college. Um, and once the last person—I don't know if it was Ben or Brianna—but once the last person, um graduated college it was like okay here we go like we're gonna do this full-time and i was just so jaded by everything we were doing um and kind of burnt out um because we never toured. we only toured like once in the summer once in the winter whenever our college breaks were and i just couldn't imagine touring full-time with a band that I just wasn't really connecting with like the scene. I wasn't really connecting with. Mm -hmm. I I love everyone in that band. And I, even when I left, I loved everyone in that band, but the shows were miserable for me. I don't know. I just couldn't see myself doing that for 200 days out of the year. Mm -hmm. So it seemed like a a good time to to leave. Uh, Now I had a day, in mind, I mean, there was a, about a year period where I was doing it. I was playing in the band, but I was checked out mentally, and I was just like getting super drunk and I don't know, being dumb about mm-hmm. it, so not chair And there was a, a show in Scranton on a Wednesday night for some reason. I don't know what we, Tiger Show was. Tiger Show had multiple albums out at this time, and we're playing like some art gallery. <laughs> to like 40 people in Scranton. Um, And I just knew, like, okay, this is it. I'm going to quit after the show. The day before the show, um, Dennis, who's the the bass player at the time, called me, and he said that him and the drummer were going to quit after the show, then i say. And I said, well, I'm going to (laughs) quit tomorrow, too. Uh, So we left, and I think we thought... I mean, we, like, after the show, we told Ben and Brianna, like, we just weren't, our hearts weren't in it. We don't want to lead people on. We don't want to lead them on. If they want to continue doing it, do it. But we don't want to drag it down by being moody all the time and stuff like that. hmm So, that's what we did. Uh, but a few months before that, I started doing Wicker phase, which is a whole different animal and... uh that was just me being frustrated with uh being in a band. Um, I hated having to wait so long to record songs. Uh, some of us lived in Scranton, some of us lived in Philadelphia, so practicing was really hard. I hated having to wait to show people songs and having to wait until an album came out to play them live and all that stuff. so I wanted to do home recording uh again, back on my bright eye shit and uh yeah we well, have got control too right like you're and saying and I have control yeah it's
0: your thing mm-hmm. and stuff and it's it's funny though We you're talking about Tiger Shaw How you know there's so many you know uh Cedric from At The Driving was on the podcast and he was talking about how all he wanted was At The Driving to be considered a Gravity's record band like all he wanted was to be associated with Gravity Records and and that was like his his like metric for success mm-hmm. you know and just like it bummed them out that he got lumped into like another scene entirely, which ultimately would be hugely successful. But it's it's amazing how that like it just happens. No matter where you picture your band, it's where everyone else slots you that you wind up.
1: Yeah, well, that's what my problem was with Tiger Shaw too a, a little bit. Was my only goal was there was a local indie label uh, called Prison Jazz Records. Mm-hmm. And my only goal for Tiger Shaw was to get signed to them. Uh, That was it. And we did. (laughs) Like, I mean, they put out, it wasn't even a signing. They were like, yeah, we will obviously put out your first record. That was the Tiger Shaw self-titled that run for cover later repressed. But, yeah, that was my only goal. And then after that, like, run for cover is obviously such a – a larger step up in terms of, like, notoriety and visibility. And that bummed me out so much. Like, I didn't want to be seen. I didn't, you know, I don't know. So, like, where's your... What was your plan? Like, did you want to be a career musician? I had no plan. Yeah. Uh, No, I had no plan. I went to college for English because I liked writing and... uh, Yeah, I had no career aspirations or anything like that. After college, uh, I started doing social media and blogging for a college based out of Scranton. Uh, They hired me. First, I was an intern. Then I was doing social media and stuff like that. uh, And ended up working there for eight years. Mm -hmm. uh, Up until last year. Uh, And... No, I had no goals. I didn't even see myself doing that full time. I'm. I get comfortable really easy, and uh, just trying to settled into that. Mm-hmm. Nothing with music was working for me, um, so much that I wanted to drop everything I was doing and pursue it full time until Wicker phase about two years ago. Yes, yeah, so like
0: how did that? You know, obviously you're making you know, music and people are engaging with the music, but there's a, at some point, like you become kind of part of a scene, right? Like, is that people lumping you in? Is there like an active kind of like
1: meeting of the minds
0: that happened with you and other people or?
1: Yeah. A meeting of the minds, uh, situation where I was very active on Tumblr, um, like, Twelve hours a day. Yeah. While I was doing this job, I was just on Tumblr refreshing, reblogging stuff, finding new stuff to post, and releasing Wiccafaze music on Tumblr. Like mm-hmm. That was the platform that I was posting new songs on. And I met Coldheart, um, who's in Goth Club now. Uh, but his blog was pretty popular, and he was a producer at the time. He was 16, producing for Lil B, and uh somehow he either heard my music or I reached out to him or something, but he knew of Tiger Shaw and he was a fan. So he started sending me beats and um uh yeah, we just linked through that, I guess. I don't know. I can't really really remember how we started talking, like through Tumblr DMs, I guess. Uh and then through him I met Ned Arb, who's a, a producer. And Netarb invited me to join this group called Thrax House. It's a Seattle-based rap group. And it was, like, internet kids, Mm -hmm. like, people who were doing stuff similar to I am, but also local Seattle um, graffiti kids and skaters and stuff like that, tattoo artists. And it eventually became, like, overwhelming. There was 40 or 50 people there. We had a group chat with that many people. and the people who were uh like solely focused on music decided to start like a branch off and do our own thing mm-hmm. um cold heart sent me a beat called gothboy click and I was like that's it that's that's what we're starting uh that's our group name we have to you know assemble a team based around that and that's what it that's what happened um it wasn't like Tiger Shaw, where we will get booked with people, get lumped in with them, and yeah. then you know those fans gravitate towards you. It was more something that we built. Uh, there was obviously people who were doing stuff similar. Bones was doing stuff similar. Um, there's a rapper named Black Cray. He's from Virginia. He has a group called Goth Money Records. Um, they're more like more on the rap side of the spectrum. Uh, I feel like we're more on, like, the singer Mm -hmm. end of the spectrum. But goth in the sense that they are, like, uh, just punks and uh, isolationists and, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, loners and stuff like that. And they were definitely, like, the foundation of what the scene is. Uh, I just think it kind of uh, became what it is now once Goth boy click was solidified I'm not trying to take credit for like this rise of whatever the scene is or anything like that but that's how we got to the point where we are now and I got to the point where I don't have to work a job or anything
0: like that yeah and mm-hmm. I think it's it's amazing because like you said it's it's a it's a scene that it's not forced together by geographical reasons like it's not bunch of kids in Scranton playing ska music, (laughs) it's almost like you you can kind of go out and pick who's part of it, you know, like,
1: all the people that want to be alone can be alone together now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. It was all internet-based, most of them lived in LA, uh, but not everyone, some lived in Seattle, eventually most of them moved to LA, and... I stayed in Pennsylvania. Yeah, like, why, have you never
0: wanted to move, or no, just, like?
1: No, Uh, again, I get comfortable, Yeah, Uh, and I had that job, like, where I was doing social media and stuff, so, uh, and I was making good money, so I stayed there. Scranton is so cheap to live in, too, Um, so just worked out I was able to record at home all the time there's no reason for me to move and like the first time I played LA I got flown out and mm-hmm. I was like okay this is the standard now <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah that's how it's been but then I played LA for the first time in 2015 or something like that and that's where I met everyone in person for the first time and I got quick like I met Hard Horsehead, everyone in the group pretty much uh and How long have you guys been working together by the point? How long have people been working together? Since 2013 concept. Yeah.
0: That's crazy. You guys had that much kind of like creative relationship and it's all just based on over the internet.
1: Yeah. Internet and group chat. Group chat, on, yeah. On
0: cell phones. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like it's it's such a I don't know, I find it such a like what would you even? what's the genre's name? Like what do you what do you classify it as? People
1: will call it Emo rap. Yeah. That's what they say. But that, is that a pejorative thing to you? I think so. Okay. Because emo is a pejorative, and we're not rapping. Okay. So, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I really don't know. I used to say uh, emotional trap only because uh, emotional uh, doesn't group you in with emo bands and stuff like that. And I used to always like, uh, I had this like saying that I would say in songs, which was that I'm forever stuck in the emotional trap. Yeah. Um, Which is like a play on like emo trap and shit like that. But um, I don't know. It's punk music at its heart. Absolutely. The thing about Gothboy Click is we're all punks. Everyone in that band, in the group, grew up playing in bands uh, for the most part. Mac Ned. As a rapper. Um, pretty much everyone else grew up playing in punk bands, mm-hmm. so uh, whatever I don't know what it is about us, you know, being Blink One Eighty Two fans when we were ten years old uh, led all of us to, to converge at the same point. But it is a it's a punk thing in the yeah. sense that it's. Uh, it's music that's made fast, uh, it's, man, I can't even explain it, really, I don't know. The, the only um, way I can really, uh, the only example I can give is that it started with trap beats, right, 808s and, and stuff like that, sampling uh, emo guitar parts or acoustic guitar parts that got um overdone really quick mm-hmm. became very easy for people to copy and we have two producers a uh, two main producers in the group uh yawns and fishnark and it's really them who uh started experimenting more with live drums uh taking those punk new wave uh 80s influences stuff like that and bridging that 808 style you know uh taking back someday acoustic cover sampling style uh and transitioning it to more of a instrument-based um like heartbreak genre Mm -hmm. something like that so it's i really can't explain it without You'd have to listen to the old stuff and then listen to new cold heart music, new Phase music uh, to get the full spectrum because we didn't figure it out yet. We were kind of just doing things on the fly and whatever resonated with people, we were sticking with.
0: Well, it's, it's, it's a real different world to like develop in than from even when you were doing, you know, ska bands where like you could develop kind of in secret. Yeah, now you have to develop in front of everyone, so it's not like you have a demo phase. That demo phase is for the world to hear,
1: yeah, forever, right? Like it's not a CDR to show that can be forgotten about. Nope, no, it's forever. It's forever. Uh, So the pressure is on. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know I really didn't give you much of an an answer. No, but I think the genre is called. No, but that
0: makes sense to me because, like, I think you're right though. But it is punk. Like this is the this is the modern day manifestation of it where it's like music for, for the kids and kids are responding to it. And like, it's, a, uh, don't know. And it also, it's DIY too, right? Like it's mm-hmm. not in any way like this was put together by a label or, or brought to you by videos or, or soundtrack syncs. Like this is people sharing
1: the music with each other. Yeah. I mean, for sure. It's what it was. Well, yeah. What uh, it was. Yeah. <laughs> well, I have, I have it happened to punk too. Yeah, and I mean that was the appeal was that it was it was grassroots and it was, uh, you know, just booking warehouses, booking like storefronts to have shows in, stuff like that. It was the stuff I missed uh, about playing in early Tiger Show. Yeah, you know, it started over. Hey, oh yeah, totally, totally, totally. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's the stuff I missed about early Tiger Shaw and it was just starting it over again, but it's just you. So you have control over the, the artistic and creative side. Of it.
0: Totally. Mm-hmm.
1: Totally. And it's like,
0: it must be weird though, to like, you know, happen again, right? Like you were involved in this one scene that kind of like blew up and now you're involved in this other scene that's blowing up in, in almost like a completely different way, but mm-hmm. still like, it's like this, things you're trying to escape are, are chasing you.
1: Yeah. Uh, the only, for some reason, I have not, uh, I haven't grown tired of Wicker Phase. I yeah. can't believe it. I can't believe it. But I see no end in sight. With Tiger Shaw, I knew, like, three years before I quit, I knew I only had a few more albums in me before I would grow out of it. Now, with Wicker Phase, I feel like, in Goth Boy Flick, I feel like there are no barriers or limits and because we're kind of making things up as we go Mm -hmm. we can pivot whatever way we want once we get bored of what we're doing and uh yeah so it's really strange also very strange like having booking agents and labels and publicists with tiger straw and then having none of that with wicker and having those people hate (laughs) wicker and then Flash forward five years later and those same people are representing you now. <laughs> Not saying that run for cover or anything like that hating me. Run for cover has been supportive of wikiface from day one. Yeah. Uh, they would let me blog on their website and like get my weird internet personality out there and all that shit. But yeah, it's really strange how like my booking agents are the people that I was playing in bands with when Tiger Show I was playing.
0: What was, like, informing you when you started with face? Like, what was the... When you're like, I want to do something different. Like, what was the
1: influences or even, like... It was rap, largely. It was, uh... I got back in the underground rap. I went to a Halloween party outside of Scranton. Um, with, like, these, like, hip, uh, like, college girls. Um, and, uh... They had like all these New York underground rappers playing the Halloween party. So, like, Das Racist was playing okay, it. Yeah, yeah. And that blew things open for me, where uh, it was just a whole different type of music, underground music that I wasn't aware of. Um, so, I started diving into that again and got into like Lacutus and all those New York underground rap dudes. I'm better than everybody would be my entrance music above the rest. That's a good one. That would definitely be my... (laughs) I was
0: was like, oh, someone's got to start coming out to this. Like, (laughs) Joey
1: Janela or someone. That would be great. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, it was that. It was like uh, that sort of rap and then ASAP Rocky was Mm -hmm. uh, more so like Plants Ficino production and ASAP Rocky and stuff, but then I heard Lil B... And it was just unlike anything I ever heard where he was getting millions of views on his YouTube videos and was being a complete weirdo doing whatever the fuck he wanted. And that was the inspiration. Like, I want really good sounding instrumentals um, and then I want to be able to, to say whatever I want over those instrumentals. Whether it's like, emo heartbreak stuff like relationship stuff or going on about jack parsons and alistair crawley or something like that you know like uh, it i just wanted to do whatever and be a weirdo and be seen as you know have those parts of my personality that might have turned people off before uh come to the forefront of it and get people to accept me for those things and, and do it in a cool way via having rap beats under my vocals. <laughs> so that's what that was. Um, It wasn't like I looked at any other like singer who's yeah. singing over rap beats and thought that's what I want to do. Bones was, I didn't know about anyone that was doing this until I started doing it and then became aware of that other people had been doing it. Bones uh, Black Ray, They were the two big ones. You know.
0: So I could talk to you for hours because we haven't even talked about I pro wrestling. I know. But you got to... I gotta, don't even gotta... want to talk
1: about Wicked Phase anymore. You <laughs> want to talk about wrestling? <laughs> I want to talk about wrestling, but you got to... like 15 minutes.
0: you got to go, so that's why I think we should go off the record because there's always more exciting stuff to talk about off the record
1: than on the record. But...
0: Would you come back at some point and do a part two with me because oh my there's God, of course. a lot less a lot left for us to cover. Of
1: course, yeah. Sorry if I rambled during anything. Dude, this has been amazing. Thank We're you. meeting for the first time. So I know. I'm trying to explain my, my life to you. But
0: it's weird because like even before we met, like I guess we gotta get into how well I probably will talk about this in the intro anyway, but like when I first heard about you on the Everything Evolved podcast <laughs> and like Shout out the Aaron. Yeah, shout out to the Aaron's, rest in peace, everything evolves. But when I heard about that, and I'm like, this guy, the fact that you're going to an evolve show and recognize the voices of these podcasters, I'm like, one day I will meet this person and we will be friends. There will be, there's no way that this person can have this kind of like, like bizarre tastes in podcasts and wrestling and be a musician, and I will not be able to connect with them on some level.
1: Yeah, my experience with, I mean, obviously, I'm very familiar with your band, but uh, all my friends are like, oh, you have to link up with, uh, like, Damien, like, blah, 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 he's into wrestling, and I'm like, yeah, like, I meet people in bands who are into wrestling all the time, and it doesn't, like, their level of expertise is not, it, you know, it's just, like, it's kind of frustrating, right? And then I looked at your podcast history, and I saw Jimmy Havoc on there and I was like, okay, <laughs> this dude is, he's real. He knows what he's doing. And
0: uh. It's like, well, it's the same. I think it's the same thing. Like, you know, like, like it's happening right now with, with the music you make, right? Like where it's like a whole thing being born. I think in pro wrestling, we're seeing like a whole new type of wrestler star being born. Like this whole, these Jimmy Havocs and these Darby Allens and these
1: like, uh, you know,
0: like, these these people around the world that are, like, the punks.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think Joey is... Uh, yeah, Joey, too. He's probably the biggest star, right? Yeah. I mean, in, on, that, on that level. I remember the first time I met him, it was just after
0: Zandig had thrown him off. They'd gone oh, off Jesus the roof God. together. And he had his arm all fucked up, and I remember being like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> this guy is nuts. And then years later, he's, like, one of the smartest people in wrestling. So yeah. Who knew? We should all be jumping off a roof with, with Zandig.
1: Yeah, and one last thing I'll say is, uh, I kind of glossed over like Lil Peep's involvement in Gothboy Clip's rise to popularity, mm-hmm. um, and that's simple. That's him being a star, him being a Gothboy Clip fan, him joining their group, and then us uh, kind of being exposed to his audience and stuff. But I remember him explaining to me that he always looked at being a uh, a person in the scene like a, a rapper or a, a, a individual musician artist as uh the same way a, a pro wrestler would approach uh, their character which is that the best the people that are the best at um building their brand and uh having a unique style in music are the ones that are, are going to succeed who fully commit to it and uh And they lived their life like that, right? Mm -hmm. And he said he would just look at, you know, people like Ric Flair or something like that who lived the lifestyle that they lived on camera in real life. And he would draw from that and and try and do that full time. And as a wrestling fan, I never made that connection, you know? Mm -hmm. But once he said that, I realized that that is exactly what I'm trying to do. Uh, I'm trying to build a character in a sense trying to build my personal brand uh turn up my personality to you know if it's at at nine now i'm trying to just bump it up a little bit to ten through my music and that helped me a lot and now when i look at wrestlers um that i like i understand why i like them and it's because they seem real to me that Mm -hmm. they they fully either they fully go into a character they've created or they're amplifying their natural personality and uh and translating that in the rain. So cool. Yeah, I'll, Dude, I'll I mean I'll stop there. That was awesome.
0: Thank you so much for coming on the show. I hope it was all right. Oh, that was incredible. <laughs> what are you talking about? That was amazing. <laughs> I wish we had more time. Of course, yeah. Thank you, Adam, for coming on the show. And you heard right there we got lots of room for a part two. Adam will be back. And uh, also Darby Allen. Wrestler featured in the Evolve episode of The Wrestlers just debuted his brand new entrance theme done by WiccaFaze. So, you know, that punk wrestling connection, it is so strong. It is so, so strong. And speaking of strong, I strongly recommend you thank your friends that have been contributing to the Patreon so far because, uh, you know, this has been going really well so far, putting up... Not one, but two episodes in kind of a given week, and so we're going to keep up that trend. Last week, we had Billy Duffy. Actually, we had kind of three guests last week. We had Billy Duffy, John Joseph, and Matt Freeman. This week, we're going to go from Wikifaze all the way to—and you can thank Tristan Abraham for this one. He booked this guest— Rachel Goswell of Slow Dive. That's right, the legend Rachel Goswell of the godly Slow Dive is on the show. But what would turn out a punk be if we didn't spend a lot of time talking about the Pumpkin Fairies? So go out and check out some Pumpkin Fairies music before next week. And if you're a fan of the Velvet Underground, you're going to dig the Pumpkin Fairies. That's it. Uh, Thanks again to Vans. Thanks again to Wikifaze. Thank you again to you. Thank you to everyone who supports the Patreon. Thank you to um, Lauren. Thank you to everyone. Everyone. Thank you, everyone. Go out there and sign your organ donor cards, please. And go out there and make your own culture. Just do it. And tell your friends about this podcast. And that's it. Uh, Stay safe. And I will see you later on this week with Rachel Goswell.